why don't we have more murals? Like, why don't we have community-based public art projects? And I started asking these questions. And the more I asked them, the more Adam brought me into different meetings. Or those conversations led to me talking to the mayor or city hall. We are here with Mandy Kasky. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. It's awesome to have you here. Um, I am going to just do the formal bio so you get to hear all that you've accomplished here. But for our listeners, Mandy Kasky is a muralist, gallery artist, and community activist. Kasky chooses to place her attention on creating imagery that will force the viewer to look outside of their personal comfort zone. Using an array of different mediums, the artwork pulls itself away from the artist and takes a life of its own. Kasky allows the work and creative process to take the lead. In 2016, the creation of a mural in Rhodes State Office Tower gave Kasky the official position as the state of Ohio's first artist in residence. The painting now overlooks the city of Columbus as a permanent installation. In 2017, Kasky created a 90 by 25 foot mural for the Open Air Museum at the Inn at Honey Run, another, another painting that exists as a permanent relic of Kasky's growth movement. In that same year, Kasky was published in her first book for the creation of her Brick by Brick series, painting created on individual bricks in cities around the country. The artist is now expanding her scope and exploring the world of gallery art in 2000. 18, she produced 1,019 paintings in her first solo exhibition. That's unbelievable. After the massive success, she was voted number one artist in Columbus, Ohio for 18. Kasky, now an internationally recognized artist, traveled to Israel in September of 2019 to paint murals with a group of exceptional young women and continues to get invited to different cities around the world. While she remains in Columbus, Kasky now has put her efforts into creating the first contemporary mural foundation for the city where she and her business partner will implement a large-scale mural festival downtown in 2020, which is really exciting. And the one thing that is not mentioned in this bio, which we need to fix, (laughs) is your incredible work here at Gravity, which I am so grateful for and just love seeing every time I'm here. Mm And I think there was some sort of stat, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, of, of kind of largest indoor, maybe female mural in the state of Ohio. Yeah, maybe it, wasn't, it wasn't like a finalized, but we were looking at that and being like, okay, so there's no like completely solo done female murals in Ohio, necessarily that large. So uh yeah, that's what's thought, but yeah. we haven't really dove into that. Well, we will. Um, <laughs> it's unofficial, but yeah. we'll go with it for now. Yeah, it'd be cool to learn that. But <laughs> yeah, we'll have to dig in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I got to know you just uh, a bit from watching you do that mural mm-hmm. and and kind of seeing inside a little bit of the process and kind of the the artist journey mm-hmm. and and learning a little bit about your life's journey. And so that's why I was so excited to bring you here today so that you could kind of share all of that uh, with our audience. The, the um, Gravity Project really stands for people uh, to become their best selves and to go on this journey uh, together and to help each other. And 
find their passions and the creative piece of it is such an important piece. Mm-hmm. For me, um, you know, this is my art, although I'm also trying to paint myself, but, um, you know, the art of creation, the, the creation itself is really uh, an important part of what we're doing here. And so I think for people to, to hear that, you know, kind of what fuels you and what what's underneath it all and, and what got you here is, is really what I'm excited to hear you share today. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start. So um, let's start at the beginning. Okay. Where are you from? Tell me a little bit about uh, your upbringing. All right. I'm uh, originally from Lima, Ohio, uh, which is, you know, a smaller town up north um, in Ohio. I grew up to a, you know, middle-class Midwestern family. Uh, My dad was a construction worker full-time and my mom, she worked at, you know, the hospitals or at the courthouse. So, you know, she was definitely um, like a public servant type, you know. Uh, I was mostly watched by my grandma growing up. So, and she was the creative, really. She painted all the time and uh, had always these little creative projects. So, Ever since I was really, really young, I I remember just making things like sculptures or, you know, we used to make this really weird Play-Doh that smelled super strange. And I just, I just remember that very clearly. Um, and do you remember just being inspired by her creating or was it just something that she had you do or did it feel like it was something that you, even at a young age, kind of had inside of you? Yeah, it... When I saw her paint, so she painted like a few large pieces that were like like six foot by eight foot, you know, like, you know, bigger pieces. Um, and I was always so like, whoa, this is so cool. Like you just painted this? Like <laughs> this is really neat. It's like on your wall. <laughs> and I, I guess that concept always like inspired me to be like, okay, well, I can paint whatever I want. This is like my own little world that I can create. And I've always been such like a loner and like, I feel like that's just a part of my personality. And I think growing up, I had that, that time and that silence to create things that like, I don't know, resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you have yeah. siblings? Yeah, yeah, I do have mm-hmm. siblings. But um, I have an older brother, an older sister, and then a little brother. But my two older siblings are much, much older than me. Um, okay. My older brother is like 15 years older than me. So mm-hmm. he was already out of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, he almost felt like more of like a cousin sometimes, you know, because, you know, you see somebody growing up from far away. Mm-hmm. And then it's not until like the last few years where you're like, yeah, you're my brother. We get to hang out. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Totally, yeah. But there was always that interesting disconnect with, you know, between the family because we're so spread apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just really enjoyed painting in my room or I I remember used to like watch classic movies with my grandma and like try to like draw them in black and white or, you know, just stuff like that. And it was just always something that I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you, you started more with drawing or when did you start to kind of expand the art part of your work? So... Yeah, going into like middle school and high school, I was just like, I'm really good at drawing. Like, I knew that. And then um, 
it kind of expanded from there. I was never really good at sculpture. I I definitely tried. I'm okay at ceramics, but it's not necessarily my forte. But yeah, no, just drawing in general, I thought I was like the bee's knees. And then my art teacher, he was just like, well, why don't you, why don't you, you know, start using oil paints and seeing what, see what you can do with that. And it's funny, at first I hated painting. Like I hated it because it's such a different part of your brain that you're you're using. You're like layering color and trying to understand this texture that's happening on whatever surface you're using. And for the longest time, I was just like, I just like graphite or charcoal because it's so much easier to grasp. But then I think it was like my, well, it was a little after my father passed away. It was my sophomore year of high school where I really, really just stayed in the art room and really tried to experiment with different things and started painting big, really. Mm. Um, He allowed me to bring like massive sheets of wood in and paint them or cut them out. And it was really the first time where I was like, I can actually make like environmental pieces mm-hmm. like around that time. Interesting. So I want to talk about that, but I want to back up a little bit. So I'm curious, your, what, a couple of things. I'm curious about kind of how your art um, was received in the educational process. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you talked a little bit about it just there, but the, you know, idea that you're in Lima, Ohio, right? And and I don't know what it's like to be an artist in Lima. I'm making some assumptions because you know I grew up in Columbus and, and Akron, and, and and for me, the kind of art community wasn't as celebrated as other things, you know. And and it was there; it existed, and you know, in a lot of ways, the artist really found their community mm-hmm. in the art room and in, you know, kind of in that educational aspect of, of high school, mm-hmm. school, but it still was, you know, wasn't as celebrated. So I'm curious, you know, mm-hmm. what it was like for you, both kind of in socially, academically, you know, were you kind of, you know, painting, you know, by the rules or were you allowed to really breathe and, mm-hmm. and express yourself? What, what was it like, you know, being an artist in Lima, Ohio? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back up a lot, <laughs> and um, so like as a kid, you have like these you show these weird tendencies, you know, like when you're in, like even like in like preschool or whatever, you're either like high strung or you're interested in drawing and painting or you like you love sports. Like I feel like you you can see at a young age what a kid is interested in, and I feel like in Lima, unfortunately the things that I excelled in weren't necessarily understood. There was a point, it was like, I believe it was like third or fourth grade. I was in a class and I was pretty much called a disruptor. And uh, now that's an endearing term, right? But back then it was something that was... um, you know, frowned upon. I would draw in class. I would show kids. I would draw the back of kids' heads. And and I would just do that regularly. And it got to the point where a teacher got so mad at me for doing that, that they actually took my desk and faced me towards the wall and built up a like little cubicle. And so for almost an entire year, could you imagine a child learning like that? I'm learning facing the wall. 
But of course, me being creative, I made the best of it. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to decorate my cuticle. I don't have to pay, like, I don't have to like pay attention or anything. And, and so that, I mean, it was interesting. Sure. Looking back on that, and it's just like, whoa, you should have not, you shouldn't have treated a child like that. And like, just because they learn differently, maybe you should try to meet them where they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- that's exactly why I asked and and thank you for sharing that. It's, mm-hmm. you know, part of, again, why we're doing what we're doing is because we really want to get rid of that. Yeah. You know, we want to mm-hmm. celebrate human beings, mm-hmm. right? However it is that we're, wanting to express ourselves and it and I know academically in the Midwest and maybe everywhere at least um, that wasn't the case when we were growing up um, that was kind of like you know play by the rules and the norms and if you weren't there was something wrong and yeah. you needed to be disciplined and mm-hmm. you know disruption was mm-hmm. really a bad Word. I actually still don't like the word. <laughs> I, I prefer expansion. There you go. Because <laughs> generally, when you're disrupting something, that means somebody's going to hit you back. Yeah. And so, um, so it's it's it's. Uh, tell me more about that. You know, what else? You know, kind of like that, or how does that then fuel you as you as you move throughout your childhood? I I think again, it's in that isolation almost and that that period of where I'm in silence kind of you know like you're just outside of the group um I just kept creating I just kept painting um and I I enjoyed that I still enjoy that aspect of uh, that solitude and I think at a very young age I understood that I was okay with just being by myself and being comfortable with painting by myself and just doing things alone. Um, so that didn't discourage you at all. It just you just kind of tuned I it just out, went and with kept it. going. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, as a kid, you want friends, and if that happens to you, like you, you're excluded out of the group. Everyone mm-hmm. sees you differently. And I do remember very clearly being an outcast and being hurt, but I translated that into positive thing. I didn't become like a bully or anything. I was just like, you know what? Fine. That's, that's cool. Like, I'm just going to paint. I'm just going to draw. <laughs> and where do you think that came from? I mean, where were your parents in this, you know, that, that kind of sense of comfort, you know, in the discomfort, you know, that, that can be a really difficult thing for a child yeah. to be isolated or to be told the thing that they were naturally doing was, was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have some support at home that allowed you to kind of take that um, peace of mind, or um, where were your parents in kind of you being an emerging artist? So they were always super, super, super supportive. My mom has, geez, like she was my Wonder Woman when I was younger. Like she would come to the rescue all the time. Like she'd be like, "You cannot," you know say that she's disruptive. You cannot say that, you know, I'm being a negative impact when I'm just creating or I'm just painting. I'm expressing myself. It was like always her thing. She would, I I dyed my hair hot pink and they tried to like kick me off the cheerleading squad. And my mom came to the rescue and she's like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, she's just becoming her own person and you're trying to tell her not to. Mm -hmm. And so she was really great at that. Like, gosh, like literally saved me. Um, 
And my I kind of want to see the Mandy hot pink <laughs> hair cheerleading <laughs> Lima Mandy. That, yeah, that, that's an image. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. She was an interesting girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, my dad, on the other hand, he he was just supportive of my art in general. He took one look at my drawings or paintings. He was like, paint me, paint me. Or what are you going to draw next? Or, you know, you're going to be famous one day. You're going to do something with this. And it was just always constantly supportive. And you could tell they didn't really understand, you know, as much as a small Midwestern family that doesn't really have like a weird artist (laughs) nearby. But uh they tried, you know, and like the effort was very clear. They never discouraged me. So I was very lucky in that point. So. And, and beyond the art piece, how, what was your experience, you know, with your family growing up? I mean, how would you describe just the general atmosphere? Obviously you, you touched on your father passing, mm-hmm. you were in high school. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about kind of what it was like to, um, you know, grow up with your family and then, you know, what happened with your father? Yeah. So like I said, the dynamics were interesting. You know, my older brother, my older sister, my older brother was out of the house. Like, you know, when I was, oh my goodness, how old was I? I'm not sure, but like around the time where I could actually be like a kid or a normal person. So he was out of the house, you know, living his own life. And then I got into like late middle school, high school. My sister had her first kid. And so I'm an aunt, super excited. But now she's also living her own journey. And then it was just me and my little brother. So for the longest time, you know, me and him were typical siblings. Like we fought and, you know, but I always looked after him. He was obviously my pride and joy. He still is. I love him dearly. Um, But... Coming up to the point where in high school when my father passed away, a lot of things started changing and shifted almost like in, like at a rapid rate. Um, my my dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor in the frontal frontal lobe of his brain, and this we d- we didn't know this was happening like at all. And through the years, his mood started changing. His um, his way of life started declining. And he was diagnosed and knew, but had not shared with. No, no, he he didn't know. He didn't either. know either. Okay. It literally. So this whole process of his like being diagnosed, and then his surgery literally happened within a course of like two weeks, mm-hmm. and then he dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the brain tumor was benign, but they took. Okay, so if you can imagine. My dad was a construction worker, and this is something I'm very passionate about is construction workers wearing masks on job sites mm-hmm. because you don't know what particles are doing to your body. Mm-hmm. So we we think that, you know, through the years with him not wearing a mask, he inhaled all these fumes. Since he was like 16, he mm-hmm. worked on job sites. So um, this brain tumor developed in the frontal lobe of his brain, and it was like the size of a grapefruit by the time they found it. And they could actually see it, he went to an eye doctor and they saw the haze in between his eyes. And they're like, oh, that's weird. That's not normal. And then he went to a doctor, got an MRI and and they found it. Mm-hmm. They took out the whole brain tumor and he ended up having two strokes and he died. Mm. And in that, it's like, 
that's crazy. Like life is insane. Like mm-hmm. that, that happened and he was there and then he's gone. He was supposed to be fine. But leading up to that point, you can see that he was rapidly changing. Like his sense of humor wasn't as, like my dad was a hilarious person. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> literally the goofball of every room. Mm-hmm. But you could see that he was losing that that light a little bit. He lost like his sense of smell, like his sense of taste. And so- it, And you, you were observing this prior to the diagnosis. Yeah, but we didn't understand. You didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more clear in hindsight, I'm assuming. Yeah. But there was some sense that he wasn't being himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were how old? Through through the process, um, I was, how old was I? Like 15, mm-hmm. 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are very formative years. Yeah. And with being like, pretty much a daddy's girl, like a hundred percent, you know, him being a really close figure in my life that completely changed my perspective on, you know, how I was acting or what I was doing, who I was around, you know? And I think that really, unfortunately put me in the position that I am in today, you know, to where I, I feel driven and, I understand my goals and I'm willing to achieve them. And I feel like if that didn't happen to me at that age or in general, I don't feel like I would be taking life on as confrontationally mm-hmm. as I am. Yeah, which is, which is, um, I'm sure that is true mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I want to talk about that because, you know, I do believe, and the reason I'm asking you these questions is, you know, it's it's really important to see how you've used your life mm-hmm. to create the life that you have. You know, that that was a uh, no doubt a really traumatic time mm-hmm. to be 15, 16 years old. You know, a young woman in Lima, Ohio, with a father that you adored. Mm-hmm. You know, to quickly, tragically lose him had to have hurt mm-hmm. painfully and and so you know as a as an adult now you know you have that that perspective but at the time tell me a little bit about kind of how that shaped you know your 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 next stage of life during that time i started looking at like the people i was hanging around and i definitely think that i was going down an interesting path where i was more of um a kid to act actually be a disruptor and act out and and I and I feel like up until you know that sophomore year I was just being an asshole you know a typical kid that didn't really have a direction just was just there to just annoy people really I, I really truly believe I saw that transition so so that was um prior to I'm sorry so yeah that was prior, prior to yeah. yeah you had this kind of like angst and uh-huh, yeah normal teenage kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Yep. yeah I was like a punk kid mm-hmm. you know going to you know punk shows and mm-hmm. stuff like that so I was rowdy I was a rowdy kid yeah and then when dad passed away it it was just this weird. You're still a little rowdy. I'm still a little rowdy. It's <laughs> fair. I mean, you know, and no judgment, and I'm actually not judging you. We were talking about this. Like, little rowdy is good. Yeah. Like the world needs that. Yeah, yeah. But I just want to acknowledge the, the, you know. 
Yeah, no. It's still there a little yeah. bit. I'm not an angel. Yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, but I, where was I? I think, um, yeah, it was, it was that point where, you know, my, I saw my mom hurting and I saw her kind of revert back to, um, you know, almost being, my, okay, so, all right. My mom and my dad were together since they were like 16, 18. Mm. My mom had my older brother when literally she was 16. So to be a, only a mom and a wife, you can imagine that sudden change can shock you. Oh, yeah. And so I think she lost herself a little bit. And during that time, I was, you know, sophomore, asshole, dad dies. And then I'm like, oh, shit. I kind of have to, I kind of have to step up, mm. you know? How did she lose herself? I, I feel like she just wanted to, she, she's, she's still finding herself, but I feel like she just wanted to feel something again, mm-hmm. you know, like. So what did that look like? How was she being mm-hmm. um, that, that, you know, showed up for you as a bit lost? Well, she just like went out all the time, mm-hmm. you know, she spent a lot of money or, you know, just really doing things that were almost like what you would do when you're in, like in your 20s, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just like in like that was very, very clear to me and that made me anxious. So mm-hmm. I was just like, well, I got to, I got to step up, you know, I have to start. I have to get a job. I want to take care of my little brother. And like, I want to do these things and help my mom. Like she started smoking cigarettes. I remember being so mad at her, even though I smoke cigarettes now. (laughs) But I I just remember being like, don't do this. Like, Mm -hmm. don't collapse. Mm -hmm. Because like, if you collapse, like we collapse. And like, that's not how this goes. And so I was very adamant on like helping her through that process. Mm -hmm. And like, as a kid, I was very aware. I, I I don't know how I'm not a special person, but I was very aware that like I needed, my mom needed me, my little brother needed me. So like I needed to change. Yeah. And so within that change, I became way more serious on, you know, being home, watching my brother or you know, working super hard, getting good grades so I don't have to be the one that she worries about. So just any of those little things you can do as a kid to like take off a weight, I like tried very adamantly on doing that. It says a lot about you too. I mean, you know, that's not necessarily how that had to go. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people would have done what your mom was doing. You know, that would have been appropriate Mm -hmm. at your age. I mean, it's appropriate at any age, when you have that kind of a, a shock to your system, mm-hmm. a loss, um, but for you to get the kind of like, I'm going to step up and, you know, and that's not really fair to you. I mean, that's not what you're supposed to have to do, mm-hmm. but you did. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's just something about kind of who you are and what's just inside of you. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was just instinct, mm-hmm. you know, it, it got to the point where, it was just like, I loved my father and his fatherliness, like his passion and his pride and everything. Like, I felt like I needed to do that now. Like I needed to be the strong one. And I, st- I honestly still feel that way. Like that's, 
it's most of the time why I'm still so crazy and driven and being like, no, this is how it's going to happen. This is this is the right way. This is, you know, it's because like I have his voice in my head, like do it right the first time. Mm-hmm. You're going to succeed. Like you were really good at this or like any of those words that he used to say, it was just, it's still there, you know? Did you, did you allow for yourself to grieve? I mean, did you have any period in there where you got to just be lost? Yes. And, and I think that had to do, I, I, I think, I don't know. I, yes, yes, I grieved, but you know, I feel like, I feel like it's a constant grieving, you know, I think it's something that's split up over time. Like I'm still grieving. It's mm-hmm. been 11 years and I feel like with every year, it's a new type of feeling. It's a new type of grief. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's ever going to go away yeah. because every moment of my life, there's going to be instances where I'm like, damn, I wish my dad was here. Yeah. But that's not possible. So it's a different, it's a different thought process in that moment. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I do. I do. I think, you know, you're, what you're describing is that you've allowed space for it to be what is. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really important, mm-hmm. you know, because it did happen and it's sad. And there are times where you wish he was here mm-hmm. um, and you need to have that, mm-hmm. right? And then you get to decide what you want to do with it. For sure. Right? Yeah. And and so, you know, you've, you've decided to do a lot with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, you know, just kind of picking up on these little threads, which, you know, is, is really, again, I think a profound journey for people to hear, you know, how you acted in your life. You know, you have this uh, tragedy or this loss and you act in, I'm going to step up, mm-hmm. right? And, and then you move forward and you continue to now act And I'm going to succeed and I'm going to, you know, listen to the voice of your father in your head that drives you towards success. You know, let's talk a little bit about that. So what what was next for you? How did you kind of then move through this time into what was the next stage for you? What was the next time of life? Well, I feel like it was then really preparation for college you know, trying to figure out what that, that next path was because I knew... You knew you wanted to go to college. Yeah, I yeah. knew I needed to get out of Lima. I knew that was not the space that was hospitable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and where did you go? I went to Columbus College of Art and Design. Oh, great. Yeah, great. yeah. But I, um, I got accepted into um, uh, San Diego Art Institute as well. But I wanted to be closer to home. And uh, so I chose to go to CCAD. And... It was an interesting it was interesting process for me, you know, moving away from home. I was excited, but also I didn't you know, you don't know what you really want. And I came to school with maybe the wrong mindset. Um some would say because like you know, you go to college and you're like, I'm free. Hell yeah, I can do whatever I want, I can eat what I want, party. But I came in, I said Literally to anybody, to everybody, I'm here to work. I don't care if I make friends. I'm here to be the best. 
And that's not necessarily <laughs> the best way to do that. Because um, I burned myself out quick. Mm-hmm. I, I attended two years and I was the top of my class, uh, teacher's pet, always doing extra work. And I feel like that mindset made me hate what I was doing mm. at that time because I didn't make many friends. I still don't really have any college friends because mm-hmm. I was so one track minded mm-hmm. um, because I knew if I was going to be here, I was going to, you know, do it. It's funny because I can remember and I'm, I'm remembering this for the first time in a very long time that when, when I went to school, I had a similar kind of feeling that um, and, and I had made a decision in my mind that I was going to go and I was going to work, mm-hmm. that I had had a lot of fun in high school and it was time for me to actually like create a different Brett. Mm-hmm. And then I got there and that lasted like two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, party. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But you actually went two years and 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 you know it's interesting because you're you're in a you're in an art school mm-hmm. you're in a, a creative design environment mm-hmm. and it sounds to me like you lost that part of it the creative part the the real connection to to the art mm-hmm. to the emotion and the expression of it and it became more like about performance mm-hmm. and and so what happens then it, it, you just burn out well. You find a vice. And for me, I smoked way too much weed. (laughs) And then I started doing graffiti. Mm. And from there, I was like, what am I doing? Why am I going to classes? Why am I trying to be something that I don't enjoy? And like like it was probably three weeks before the end of my last semester, my sophomore year or, you know, of college. And I just stopped. I just didn't go anymore. I had my projects done because I told you, I got my stuff done ahead of time. I just didn't go. Like I, I stopped contact with my teachers. I just knew that it wasn't the right path for me anymore. And so I just stopped. And I th- I regret that in some aspects, but also I don't at the same time because during that process, I learned that I can paint large and whatever I want outside, (laughs) you know? So was it more about that? And it's interesting. I want to kind of touch on the pot smoking thing because, you know, it it takes you into this path, right? Mm -hmm. So you're sitting around, let's just talk about it. You're getting high a lot. Mm -hmm. Your words, it's a vice, which, you know, I'm sure it is, right? Mm -hmm. It might become a habit. You know, there's these kind of addiction uh, underlying things, right? Some of it is behavioral, some of it is cognitive. So maybe you're still grieving and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're you're dealing with it that way. Pretty damn normal, right? But interestingly enough, it then kind of like takes you to graffiti, mm-hmm. right? I mean, is that a fair kind of thing? Like, because yeah. because what? Like how did connect the dots on like you kind of disassociating from school, you know, sitting around smoking pot with your friends or by yourself. Mm-hmm. And then like, how did that get to graffiti? So my boyfriend at the time, I'm not sure if he wants me to mention his name, so I probably won't, but... uh 
he was a fun and rowdy person and, you know, had mopeds. He was a gearhead and he smoked pot all the time and we'd smoke weed together and just have these incredible conversations. And then these incredible conversations inside turned into adventures outside, like walking anywhere, exploring places, going into abandoned buildings. Was he an artist also? Yeah, yeah. I, I met him in my drawing class. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, a dream. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and an incredible artist, he still is. So we, you know, it progressed in a way that these conversations about trends and the way the art movement is and what what really is the like definition of like the like the best art movement and you know so these conversations led us to um already led him he was already well versed in street art and graffiti and contemporary muralism i really had no idea it was such a prominent thing I mean, again, I moved from Lima, Ohio, and my first time in a museum was my freshman year of college. So it's just like these things that I'm learning so quickly. And like some of them, I'm like, no, that's not me. And then the rest is like, whoa, I want to be a part of this movement. That's kind of... That's kind of that transition there, which is, you know, rolling up a joint, walking around. and <laughs> Right. So, you know, it, it feels pretty normal to you and, and like a natural transition. But mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to just like double click on it. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's like, because I think it's actually, you know, something that really needs to be highlighted and honored is that, you know, you're, what I'm hearing is you've, you've kind of been this like your own person right? From, from a young age. Mm-hmm. So when you get put in the corner and most people might shrink and you decide you're going to decorate, right? <laughs> and so you, you've kind of like, you know, then, then, you know, fast forward, you know, you're, you're smoking pot with your boyfriend. You still have this kind of desire to create and to not worry about what people are telling you, mm-hmm. what society is telling you and to follow your kind of own internal energy, right? Which led you to this, you know, now exploding world mm-hmm. of graffiti art, mm-hmm. of outdoor murals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't the case seven, eight years ago, no, right? And, and so to, to most people, that'd be scary, mm-hmm. right? To most people, even in an art community, you know, there, there wasn't a huge group that was saying, ooh, I don't care what society says or what my teachers say or mm-hmm. right what the world says. Like I, I'm, This is something that feels, and it's a feeling, right? You're following your intuitive feelings in living your life and, and creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty damn cool. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and the reason I wanted to like really, you know, say that is because I think it's important for people to hear. Like, I think that's the secret sauce, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think that those are the things we need to be doing more of is following those intuitive feelings that really honor what's inside of us, despite what the world might be telling us. No, yeah, I agree. And and I feel like there was a point where, you know, he he said, hey, let's bring spray paint, like on our venture, on our walks. And I thought to myself, 
And you were like super stoned and he was like hot boyfriend. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Well, no, actually I was, I was hesitant, you oh, know, yeah. cause like, you know, graffiti, illegal, taboo, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it wasn't until like that first creation, like that, like the very first one, he, you know, brought some spray paint and we went to the gates of hell, you know, where that is in Clintonville. Mm-hmm. And we went down there and I just painted flowers with some rusto. And I'm like, this is fun. This is cute. Yeah, I love it. And then like the next weekend, he takes me to this beautiful spot, like near the Park of Roses. And it's just like this cement column. And I'm standing in front of it. And I'm like, you know, what feels good in this moment? And then I recreate a Keith Haring piece. Mm. And that was the first time that I actually like really tried to do like straight lines and like filling it, like filling it in a proper way. So I count that as like my first, my first mural really mm-hmm. is just this Keith Haring heart. And it was so beautiful because it was such an amazing sunny day. I'm with my wonderful, funny boyfriend and we're just out there painting. A, a dude comes up with his puppy and hangs out with us. And so it was just so, everything about that experience was so romantic. and in every aspect, the the movement of, you know, my spray paint and my hand and my body, you know, it's just everything about it was great. And I, and I wanted to keep feeling that. And then that's when I pretty much just stopped going to class. Mm. That was it. You just knew that was like an embodiment of a feeling that yeah. just felt like it that felt real. That felt natural. Mm-hmm. That felt, that's how art was supposed to feel. So then what? I mean, you know, you have this kind of, you know, mindset up till this point that you're going to succeed and success looked like doing well in school, right? Mm-hmm. Graduating from college. Yeah. I don't know what you might've thought it was going to be like after college. I went to show in galleries, being in museums. Right. Very so, traditional. <laughs> right. So you just, you know, kind of like throw that all out. Yeah. Um, because you have this thing that feels like it's a calling. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, like, I mean, good for you. Like I'm moved by the courage to just say, fuck it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like unbelievable. So so what, did you, what, what were you thinking aside from like, I have to do this? Like, what were you going to do? It was terrifying. I'm not going to lie. It was such a weird feeling because like for the first time, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like I had such a drive to be this thing or do this thing. And now am I throwing it out the window? Am am I going to go to jail because of this? Am I because it, it became which is a, a real regu- possibility, especially yeah. if you're like in oh, the yeah. broad daylight? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And but I don't. I don't think people really know that necessarily. That like people went to jail for this. Yeah. Right. They not still that, do. <laughs> they still do. Right. Yeah. And 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 you know, but not that long ago. You know, we today it's like kind of cool, right? Yeah. You know, and cool in that like people love public art. Yeah. Right. You know, it's in every real estate development. It's right. Yeah. It's, it's, but which is great, but you know, it, it was a thing that was really very legal, very legal. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my boyfriend and I, we, we knew that, but I, and I think it's, it was the beauty of that that kind of made us like want to do it even more. So it goes back to that being romantic, right? It's that, 
that romantic part of doing something dangerous and doing something that is not the norm. And that street art wasn't a thing in Columbus, really, like in a big way. I mean, the graffiti scene at that time wasn't that big anymore. We had a few Vincent pieces, which is a street artist, and we had Stephanie Rond. But really, other than that, like we didn't have much. We decided that we wanted to make big pieces and create environments in areas that were abandoned because we found beauty in all of these factories. Because, you know, at one point, Columbus had a lot of abandoned factories. And um, so we wanted to figure out a way to create a different feeling and a different life in these factories. So it, it stopped being graffiti. It stopped like writing on walls and it turned into more of like a, an experiment and a, um, like a different way of, it was, I don't, it was like a test. Like in that in itself was like my schooling, right? So like going out, finding these beautiful walls, touching them, seeing the environment that's around and then creating something in that environment that either feels appropriate or feels like completely like shattering the the like um the imagery there right so in that it was like you learned so much in that it was like this awesome experiment we were doing with ourselves and around that time instagram started blowing up mm-hmm. and he and i started was like hey we should make instagrams for this mm-hmm. like this specifically for our public art because people won't see it any other way unless you go and explore. And that is the beauty of it. But if we post it, maybe people will go find it. Now, were you thinking about money in in this? Like, you know, were you thinking, you know, how can we get paid for it at all? At that time, no. And how were you uh, supporting yourself then? So during this time, I was actually working at Cafe Brioso, okay. which is another part of that journey that I mm-hmm. should touch on as well, because mm-hmm. that was a huge huge part of my development as well. Good. Yeah. You want to do that now? Yeah, sure, yeah. Good, tell me Um, about it. So working at Cafe Brioso, downtown Columbus, Ohio, I was there for like two, two and a half years. This is um, gay and high? Yep. Yeah. So right downtown. Yeah. Um, you, we get so, we used to get so many regulars there, the people ordering the same things every day, all these different suits and different types of people coming in, but you see the same faces. It was an interesting place because it was a very kind of corporate Mm -hmm. environment around it. You know, it was very much suit Mm -hmm. downtown Columbus, central business district. Mm -hmm. Right. But it, but Brioso was like vibey. Oh, dude, so vibey. It like it felt like it wanted to be on campus or something, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was kind of, yeah. It was it was like a real legit vibe. Well, it was. I mean, almost more than that. It felt like it felt like something that like should have been in like Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. You know, like the people that were involved. Like we would we would stop all at once. We would stop the line and start singing a song. (laughs) And it was just it was so. The connection there was so overwhelmingly mm. fun. And like the people were just all doing something mm-hmm. very active. Was like, that coming out of Columbus uh, or CCAD at all? Was there any tie to that? Were the people there? I mean, there was a few CCAD mm-hmm. students that like, you know, came in and out because it is right down the road. And right. I'm, as an example, I was a CCAD student. I went there for coffee, but then started working there. But like, as somebody that's like very um, observant, 
I start looking around me and seeing all of these very professional people that come in every day. And I start being interested in their stories and what they do. And so slowly I start learning their names and start learning what they do. And me being like, ooh, I wonder how I can like implement myself into this. And so being super personable, I started talking about myself as well. And I put out my business card, like right next to, you know, where I stood that took people's orders. Mm -hmm. And so now these conversations start developing around um, what we can do together. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of times where there was small businesses coming in to have meetings. Now I'm having meetings with these small businesses while I'm serving them food. Mm -hmm. And so this this sense of community starts happening, this um, collaboration, and then my my thoughts on how I can implement art into what everybody does. That's when those thought, thoughts start happening. Simultaneously, I'm still doing illegal paintings. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to like play this corporate mm-hmm. political role for the arts, like in a very small way, but then also going out and painting whatever I want, whenever I want type deal. And so I'm trying to figure out what those two look like. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Miss Birdie starts becoming mm-hmm. this thing. Okay, so um, just tell me though, the corporate kind of part of you that's mm-hmm. playing with this small business and the kind of like what, what I'm going to call work, mm-hmm. is that because you're thinking about how to make this a living? Um, or, you know, tell me why you're even playing with that part to begin with when you have this other really kind of soulful, aligned, inspiring piece of what you're doing. Is it the legality of it? Mm. Well, it's, it's because I want to be an artist. Like, I don't want to work at a cafe. Yeah. I don't want to do anything like that. Like, I want to be my own. You boss. wanted to be a working artist. Yes. However you could do that. Correct. And so you're just kind of using your skills, your network, mm. your natural abilities to communicate mm-hmm. to figure out how to work as an artist. Yes. Great. Okay, cool. Tell me about Miss um, Birdie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, you know, 20, right? 20 and Miss um, Birdie starts becoming a thing on Instagram. And, you know, public art at that time isn't big in Columbus. Uh, my boyfriend and I were, I'm proud to say and say this very seriously that we were we were leading that. And with that, our Instagram got to a point where everybody in the community was following us. Anybody that was important in the arts community was following us on Instagram. So conversation conversations started happening and really, really good conversations on like, what are you kids doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you guys need to get paid for stuff like mm-hmm. this. You shouldn't be doing this legally. And, and who's who's telling you that? You know, when you say it's you know, everybody in the city. I mean, is this mm-hmm. coming from people at GCAC? Like, where where are you getting this kind of mentorship or, or interest? So when we first started, um, we actually ran into Adam Burlett. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, we have this thing called Independence Day Festival. And I think you guys would be great mm-hmm. in this. And so he was really the constant voice of being like, you need to do, you need to do this as a job. You yeah. need to do this as a job. We need more of this, but don't do it illegally. Get paid for it. Yeah, Adam's really, and you're reminding me, I need to 
connect with him because he has really been a champion for many. Mm-hmm. And this is not an uncommon story that things tie oh, yeah. back to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he kicked our butt back in the day. For yeah, sure. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so with that, you know, at the time he was at Taco Cat mm-hmm. and uh, me and my boyfriend got our first show in Columbus at Taco Cat. And that was the point where we were the youngest people that showed in this uh, exhibition and all eyes were definitely on us. Like my piece sold sold within like the first 10 minutes of the show opening. So there was a lot of, a lot of electricity there. Like, oh, these young kids, they're doing huge street art. Um, Now we're doing this gallery thing. Like what's this look like? And so Adam brought us on to Independence Day Festival. Uh, From there, he gave us the role as pretty much the the people bringing the group together of um, exceptional artists to build those set designs. I don't know if, do you remember oh, like all those God, crazy yeah. sets? Yeah. So Jacob and I had the privilege of bringing together the first group, mm. the very first group and coordinating how we're going to do this, how we're going to build these crazy sets. And that was really the first time I felt connected to like a group of people mm-hmm. with a singular goal and making something to impact a whole, like yeah. a whole lot of people. Well, you know, you're not alone in that. In and it's an interesting spark um, because I attended Independence Day the first time. I don't remember what year that was, but it was the spark for me to be here at Gravity. Yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of like the most badass thing I had seen in Columbus, you know, in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I've told people this before. It felt like I was walking into my high school art room mm-hmm. and getting that same first feeling of like, wow, like this exists in the world and mm-hmm. it feels like me mm-hmm. and I want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And Independence Day really did that for a lot of people. A lot of people. I mean, it was um, killer. And another thing I admire about Adam was he just was like, we're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah, it was killer. Gotta, it was awesome. Know. Yeah. You know, and it, <laughs> let's, I'm going to go recreate something else, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So that, so Independence Day spark for both of us. And, you know, tell me kind of, uh, you know, it, you know, and it just goes like that for you. I mean, you're, you're now you're getting it, you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You've got the following mm-hmm. and you're a working artist. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was still working at Cafe Brioso, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, pretty much I'm starting to get to the point where, oh man, I feel like I can do this full time. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, make the community better. And it was really during Independence Day Festival and those different community projects where I started becoming very, very passionate about my community. Mm -hmm. Like wanting to do less illegal work and be like, why don't we have more murals? Like, why don't we have community-based public art projects? And I started asking these questions. And the more I asked them, the more Adam brought me into different meetings Mm -hmm. or those conversations led to me talking to the mayor or city hall. And it's just like my voice 
I don't know how, really. I think I was just bitching so much that people were like, hey, this this girl is crazy. <laughs> maybe let's give her a shot. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> look, I, you know, that that's maybe um, a humble way of of looking at it. And there and there might be some truth there too, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but I think it's more like um, an acknowledgement yeah. that what you were doing had real value. Yeah. You know, I've often found that, you know, there might be people who they want to get it and and they're not really sure what it is. Yeah. Um, but they're open just enough mm-hmm. uh, that it, there's a opportunity for you to kind of step in mm-hmm. and like knock it down mm-hmm. and tell them what it is that they don't know they don't sure. know, but they want to know, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think like that's, I was that person. <laughs> that's more what I'm hearing. Yeah. 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 It's just a slightly more empowering way of looking at it than... <laughs> I was bitching. <laughs> yeah, crazy bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so so um, I want to just kind of, uh, as we start to kind of move here towards the end, um, because you know, in the bio, you talk about the you and your business partner implementing large scale mural festival in 2020. So yeah. let's talk about that and okay. whatever else is like hot on your list of things that you're doing that you want to share. Okay, and uh, yeah, tell me about it. Okay, so. Uh... Brian Suter is my business partner, which you know. You know uh, yes, Brian. He's yes. phenomenal. He's one of my best friends. Awesome. Um, we came together a few years ago for, well, it wasn't just me and him. Like It was just a random panel discussion that I was asked to be on. And um, it was pretty, it was pretty phenomenal. It was at the Idea Foundry and there was like a bunch of different like uh, developers in the room and I remember thinking like, why am I up here? <laughs> you know, like I have, no, I have no idea about development. But Brian and I were like echoing each other. Like I made like a slideshow and the things that I was I was speaking on, Brian was like, oh my God, yeah. Like the whole time, like, yeah, listen to her. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and then I remember after he met up with me and he was like, hey, we should get coffee. Like we really need to talk. And so we did, and we just continued to get coffee, and we continued to have this conversation on why why doesn't Columbus have more public art? Why don't we have more contemporary muralism, and why aren't we supporting our street artists and graffiti scene? And um, from there, it got to the point where those conversations turned into bringing people in, right? So gauging interest and trying to figure out if people even wanted to do it. Because I mean, we're sitting here getting frustrated and wondering why it's not happening. So like, does people, do people want it? And the answer starts to be yes. And at every every move and every corner that we go down, it's like people are like, yeah, like we do want more public art. And so we start asking internally, well, how? Like, how do we do this thoughtfully? And how do we do this impactfully? Because we can't just like go in and start doing like small paintings everywhere. Like we need to do it with a big footing, but it needs to be in a way that people feel like they're included and and it, it has to feel impactful, you know? So that's when we just decided to pull the plug and we we got the right people in the room. Um, the Great Columbus Commission gave us our, our first money in. And we're really 
just still trying to figure out the ins and outs of it because we don't want to be a typical mural festival. We don't want to be a typical mural foundation. Like we actually want to include contemporary murals. We want to include public um, community-based art projects. And then we also, we don't want to forget about the graffiti and the street art scene. I feel like there's so many different mural initiatives going on like right now in the world that some of them are just strictly contemporary muralism and they completely forget about the community aspect. Yeah. Or it's only community murals and they forget about the graffiti and street artists, the community, (laughs) you know, the people that are living it. And so I, me and Brian definitely feel like Columbus has such a blank slate that we can actually create a culture and a hub that is, I don't want to say the right way because there is no right way. Everything's going to be always changing, but a balanced way of approaching this. So like funding the graffiti artists and funding the street artists because they put a lot of their own blood, sweat, and tears into helping create culture in a city and we completely forget about them. So figuring out a way to fund those people, but also figuring out a way to include the local woman's shelter in a project or anything like that, but also fly out people from anywhere so they can interact with local artists and paint large-scale murals and things like that. So... there's a balance to these things. And the more and more that I, I look around at what people are doing, I feel like it's achievable. I really totally. do. I really do. Yeah. And you're you're reminding me, you know, kind of this um, experience that we had where, you know, there was this really special moment that I'll never forget where you were interviewing Cobra, oh, right? Yeah. And, you know, to me, it was really um, special because, you know, we had this local... Columbus, TCAD, Lima, Ohio, right? (laughs) Like here you were, right? And not only were you working at large scale, um, but then you were also sitting next to an international artist Mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, was now here in Columbus uh, working on the same project. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was really um, a special moment uh, for me personally, and I know it was for you too. And I love what you guys are doing. I think it's really, really important. And I will just put in a little vote that much of that work happened here in Franklin because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think it does have the ability to really honor both the community piece, mm-hmm. right? And all of the people in this neighborhood that can use the benefit of what you're doing. Sure. Um, but I, I love it. It's great. And if you can share with our audience any kind of final thoughts on on that project or anything else that you're working on that you want people to know about mm-hmm. um, or anything else for that matter, it's been awesome having you here. Yeah, thank you. I don't know. I I feel like I am constantly learning about my faults and I'm constantly learning about the things that trigger me and inspire me. So I feel like as people, we can't, we can't stop learning about ourselves. And I feel like that's the one thing that holds some people back is because they start, they, they decide that they know what they're going to do in every situation. But once you allow yourself to 
feel free to just, I don't know, um, be in that moment and explore your thoughts in a more organic way. I, I feel like you can come to like a very like higher sense of being, right? I I wouldn't be where I am today if I decided I was just going to go to school, complete school, be a gallery artist because that's what I set out to do. You know, my my heart was in something else and I had to follow it, right? So, and I still continue to do that. Yeah. And I allow myself to, you know, see something and be inspired by it or cry about it or like feel upset about something. Like I don't shy away from my my feelings and how they impact me. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that's beautiful. And it's what I hear when I um, hear your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sense of really honoring who you are and and what you want for yourself. Mm-hmm. And a sense of creation, mm-hmm. you know, that that you're really being um, uh, very proactive about. You're really uh, being courageous about, and you're allowing your life to unfold and to welcome it all. Yeah, uh, even when it's really damn hard mm-hmm. and really scary. Um, and I know it's been all of those things for you, mm-hmm. right? I know there's no doubt to get to where you are to, you know, overcome the loss of your father, to uh, honor the, the alignment of the graffiti work, right? And to drop out of school, to go to meetings with suits and city officials, right? And, mm-hmm. and just to be yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Takes courage and you continue to um, just trust, you know, I like to say love, trust, surrender. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's what comes to mind when I, you know, kind of hear your story and I appreciate you kind of putting a, an emphasis on that here at the end Mm -hmm. so that, you know, other people can kind of see how that goes Mm -hmm. because it's scary. It It can be hard, Mm -hmm. um, but it's really fulfilling and worth it. And, uh, it's awesome having you here, Mandy. And I love having, your work here Mm -hmm. and there's so much more to come. I'm excited to continue to collaborate with you and support you in any way I can. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.